0: Our first reading of God's Holy Word this morning is taken from the Old Testament, from the book of Proverbs, chapter 4, verse 14 through 19. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it, do not travel on it, turn away from it, and pass on. For they do not sleep unless they have done evil and their sleep is taken away unless they make someone fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our reading from the New Testament this morning is taken from the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes the thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that the day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are also doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you look at the proverb reading that Solomon has given us, there are some themes that really jump out to you that he's working with. Uh, It's interesting to go through them and see how they fit together. Uh, One of the first ones that stands out is the theme of sleep. Uh, You've got an imagery here of nighttime and such, and there's a direct reference to sleep especially in verse 16 there's the wicked in view the the wicked are those unredeemed sinners who are not just sinners but they kind of moved over into the red zone uh they're predators they're people who will hurt you and these wicked people are having trouble they're not able to sleep But it's not their conscience, it's the fact that they haven't really been able to perform their wickedness. And in verse 16 we read, For they do not sleep unless they have done evil, and their sleep is taken away unless they make someone fall. Uh, The upright, the just, are also pictured in terms of sleep, but they're not asleep. In uh, one of the further verses, Solomon describes them as, but the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. So you've got the wicked, you've got the world's bad guys laying on their bed going, I just just can't sleep, I I, I need to do some wickedness, and then we cut to the just— And the just have gotten up. They're not laying down. They are on a path. They're walking. And of course they're walking because day has come. It's time to go about their labor. And so they are proceeding on their journey. They are in the daylight. Um, You have moral rectitude and sin in the Proverbs reading. Uh, juxtaposed, in fact, that's the whole focus of the proverb, you've got the just and the wicked compared, and there is a sense of urgency that Solomon is using to say, the wicked, don't be them. Uh, Listen to this sense of urgency again. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Don't don't even start on it. And do not walk in the way of evil. Don't, Don't go down there. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on. So there's this theme that there is moral wickedness and you don't want to have anything to do with it. If you have not started the journey, don't. If you have been on the journey, stop. Uh, do it right now. It's not something to think about and plan. This is Lot being told, leave the city of Sodom, get out of here, get out of Dodge, don't turn around, don't look back, don't do it. Rather, there is a path to be taken and a a path of goodness, a path of the just who walk in God's ways, take that instead. There is a theme of sustenance. you don't know how important sustenance is to you until you haven't had it for a while. Um, Let yourself get really good and hungry fast for a little while, and you will discover that where your food comes from and what it is is really kind of important to you, far more than you expected. Well, in, in Solomon's proverb, sustenance is in verse 17, again, talking about the wicked, the righteous don't really come up in this theme here, but the wicked do. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. It's what they eat and what they drink. They are sons of their father, the devil. They have to eat just like anybody else, and they're predators, so... They draw their sustenance, what they live on, from doing wickedness. They, they do evil, and that's how they live. It is a distinction between those who are in the sunshine and those who are in the dark of night. And what's really interesting is that they are put together and described Back around the turn of the millennia, uh, I noticed in some of the music that I was collecting up on CDs that a number of artists at the same time, about that time, used a a phrase that seemed to be indicating the same thing, but they weren't connected artists or anything like that. Uh, Sting actually had a song that used the phrase as a title. There's got to be an invisible sun. You know, if you have the soundtrack to the first X-Files movie, you got the song on it. Uh, An invisible sun. Sting, but a lot of other people use that phrase. There's got to be an invisible sun. It struck me as odd that this kind of philosophical phrase was showing up in secular music. And what was it that they're trying to say using it? Well, if a sun is invisible, a sun is a light source. You know, you go outside, the sun lights up the world. You're able to see what's there. You know what's happening. It gives knowledge. uh, It gives safety. You know, if you're in the dark, you're in danger. Um, It it, it gives warmth and life. So a sun symbolically is something pretty important. But an invisible sun would be a sun you don't see. So there's light out there, but you're not enjoying it. Probably someone is if the sun exists, but it's not for you. And so these secular singers seem to be saying, "Uh, I don't know what's going on in the world, and I don't know what the meaning of life is, and I don't know what's happening to me. But somebody probably does, somebody probably understands, they have knowledge, but I don't. I am ignorant, but at the very same moment, somebody is knowledgeable, there must be an invisible sun. Well, Solomon is kind of playing into that imagery. In this proverb, the way of the righteous is a progressive growing in light, They are on this journey. It starts off at dawn, with dawn's early light, not very powerful at all, but growing. As they progress on, the light grows till ultimately it reaches the fullness of day. There is this image of the sun, which conveys the concept of knowledge, the concept of moral growth, the concept of safety. They're growing in that, as they progress on their way. Uh, They start off not that knowledgeable. They start off not that sanctified. But it's a continuing journey, and those things grow. But then, at the end of the proverb, the wicked who are being contrasted to the just are said to be in deep darkness, and they don't know what makes them stumble. Well, is it daytime, or is it nighttime? Well, it's the same. It is growing day for a certain kind of person, and it is pitch black night for somebody else. Uh, It's almost as if there's an invisible sun that the wicked aren't seeing. The sun is rising for the just. The sun is sanctifying them. But at the very same time, the wicked are wandering in total darkness. Uh, They're craving to do evil. That's what sustains them. And yet they are suffering harm, they're tripping over things, getting hurt in the dark, and they don't even know what makes them stumble. But the way of the righteous is this slow dawning of light, which will be for them health and safety and, and that sort of thing. I am preaching through First Thessalonians. So why am I spending all this time with Solomon? Well, when you come to our second reading, our New Testament reading, there are some themes in it that really stand out to you when you look at it, and you can't really miss them, and it's really kind of interesting to see those themes and how they interact. For instance, as Paul comes to this end of his discussion about the resurrection of the dead and about the second coming— one of the major themes that he works with is the concept of sleep. Uh, Listen to Paul. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. So The apostle is working with the idea of sleeping, and Solomon is working with that, too. He pictured the wicked laying on their bed. They can't sleep until they do evil. Uh, They're having hunger pains. They they want to do evil. That's how they're sustained. And, of course, it's nighttime for them, so that's the natural time to sleep. It's day for the just, so it's the natural time for them to go to work. Uh, Here, Paul says, now, it's not the natural time for you to sleep. It is daytime for you. We are not of the night. We're of the day. You shouldn't sleep as others do. So there are other people who are sleeping right this moment, but sleep is not for you. But you are, you're not like the wicked with Solomon. Uh, you're not laying on your bed frustrated. You're actually called to live in the day and do the things of the day you are called to live soberly and righteously. And here, uh, the apostle is using general terms that convey the moral rectitude of someone who is just, really. Uh, Someone who is right before God and living a morally correct life before him. They are sober-minded. They are doing righteous things. Paul says, "That's what you do during the day. That's your your labor. That's your your business." Um, there is there is a contrasting here of moral wickedness and moral rectitude. Um, for those who sleep sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. That's not who you should be. But let us be of the day and be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So uh, Paul is, again, taking those three virtues that he sums up the Christian life in so many times. He did this in Chapter 1, and he's doing it here in Chapter 5. He says moral rectitude is a matter of faith, hope, and love. In fact, that's the armor you're going to wear when you go to work because apparently work is kind of dangerous. Uh, You're going to be sober... Uh, You're not going to get drunk, which seems to be a reference to not being sober-minded. It's the the mindset that the lost who are given to the night have. It's foolishness of mind. It is illusion. Uh, That's bad. These things are good. And there is a sense of urgency, like Solomon had. He said... Don't go on this way, don't even start. If you did start, knock it off, just don't do it. Well, that same sort of uh, immediacy concerning these matters are right here in our passage. Why should we not be asleep? Why should we walk in our armor? Well, Paul says four, which means because God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. So there is an urgency, but it's slightly different than Solomon's urgency. In Solomon, the emphasis is on the danger. Uh, If you get on this track, you're going to go to ruin. here, the apostle has the same sense of urgency, but he says, don't you know you are of the day? It doesn't make any sense for you to act like you're of the night. You're not designed for it. Uh, Just like if you took a nocturnal creature and set it loose in the day, it would have a hard time. Or if you took a creature of the day and made it stay up all night, uh, you're of the day. Why would you be of the night? Why would you act that way? You're not drunk. You're not given to darkness. You have been appointed by God, you have been predestined by God, you have been chosen by God to be of the day, so stop being nocturnal. Um, In both cases, there is a theme of moralities being black and white. Growing up, I grew up in a family that emphasized to me, you really can't call evil, evil. I mean, everything is gray. Uh, The good people in life are actually gray. The bad people in life are actually gray. If you're going to be open-minded, if you're going to not be a concrete thinking backwards fundamentalist, which is how my family views me now, uh, if you're not going to be that, you've got to realize that morality is not black or white It's all this very complicated mixing. Um, Both Solomon and Paul would beg to differ. Paul says you've got a, uh, Solomon says you've got a contrasting wickedness and justice. Uh, Paul says you've got a contrasting night and darkness. And these things are about as different as you can get. Almost as different as, say, living and dead. Living and dead are polar opposites. Um, To be alive is exactly the opposite of being dead and vice versa. And that's the kind of language both writers are using. Uh, If you are of the night, you are something totally different than if you are of the day. And you may get confused and you may think I'm supposed to act like I'm in the night, but I'm not designed for it. And those in the night may think, okay, well, I can live in the day, but they're not designed for it. It's absolutely black and white, according to the biblical writers. Uh, apparently, God is a closed-minded, concrete-thinking fundamentalist. I mean, who knew? Uh, but you can't get past these passages without seeing that. Good is good, and evil is evil, and there is a, an urgency to avoid the evil. Uh, and there's an emphasis on sustenance here, too. Although, interestingly, the Apostle focuses on the righteous rather than on the wicked. When, when Solomon turned to the concept of sustenance, he showed us the wicked hungry to do evil, but here, uh, in the the last verse of our passage, the Apostle says, now, concerning the things we're talking about, Comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. And this is the second half of him talking about the resurrection and the second coming. At the the chapter break before this, verse 18 said, Therefore comfort one another with these words. There's no reference to the wicked and sustaining them here, but there is an emphasis on sustaining the believer. There is a second coming happening. The Lord Jesus Christ has promised he is going to come. This is not just some sort of spiritual symbol. This is not just some sort of philosophical talking point. Jesus has promised he will return. There's going to be a resurrection of the dead. This, again, is not just a symbol or a talking point. The dead are actually going to rise. And you, believer... Need to be sustained in your hope, sustained in your faith. You need to have someone comfort you with these things because that's where you draw strength from. The wicked are absolutely the opposite in Solomon. They draw their strength from doing wickedness. If if you think that the wicked in the world are wrestling with their conscience. And really, honestly, there's a spark of goodness in them that you might just touch with a smile. You're really deluded. I mean, seriously, I'm, I'm not a uh, hostage negotiator. I should put that lighter, but you're deluded. Without the grace of God, the heart of man is desperately wicked. There is no spark of goodness in it, and they are hungering to do evil, and that's how they sustain themselves. But you are different. God has brought you into the light, and you are sustained by his promises. You are sustained by the fact the Lord Christ is coming. You are sustained by the resurrection of the dead. This is what you feed on. This is how you stay strong. This is how your hope remains in a world that has wicked people like that in it. Um, There is an emphasis on day... And night. Just like Solomon talked about there being an invisible sun for some, um, the, the invisible sun shines for you. You are of the day, it gives you knowledge. I find it really interesting how the people of the night are described. They are sleeping, says the apostle. And what is the result of their sleeping? Well, it's in verse 3. For when they say, not you, but they, when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. The second coming of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the dead is not good news if you don't belong to God. It will be destruction. But the apostle pictures these sleeping people, the people of darkness, effectively having a dream. And the dream is we're making the world a better place. And ultimately, we're going to be able to say we have so improved the world that we can say peace and safety. We have abolished war. We have abolished poverty. We have progressed in our moral rectitude, which we think we have, to the point where we have made the world The place that we really think it ought to be. Since about the 1700s, that's been the battle cry of Western civilization. We are, through the Enlightenment and through scientific process, going to, by our hands, make the world a better place. We've got a war on poverty going, we're going to end war which we did, by the way. We did that in 1917. We had the war to end all wars, so there has been no other war since then. Um, Well, a few, maybe. Um, But the, the, the heartbeat of Western civilization is we're going to make the world a better place. We're going to be able to say peace and safety because we've made it that way. And the people who are most in our way to making the world a better place... Is who, in their opinion? Well, in their opinion, it's me and you, because we cling to what God's word says, and you're never going to have peace and safety if you do that, so this passage pictures people saying, okay, we have made it, we have made the world in our image, peace and safety, and then suddenly the sky cracks open, and to the east of Jerusalem You've got the Lord Jesus Christ descending with the trumpet of God. And it's really, really bad news for them because they've been asleep. There has been this dawning light for the righteous. They are of the day, and they know he's coming back. They have lived in knowledge. They have lived in growing sanctification. They have lived in growing safety by his hand. But the wicked are actually surprised. We, we thought we made the world a place of peace and safety. We thought we made the world a place for humanity. We are humanists, and we, we have made the world what we've always wanted it to be. Did you hear a horn? That is the ultimate end of their ignorance. They thought the creator of the world would just let them have it and shape it any way they wanted to shape it. <coughs> And the trumpet of God and the cracking of the heavens and the sound of approaching hoofbeats says, you were wrong about that. And the people who knew looked for that coming. And in Paul's way of writing, that growing from dusk to ultimate day that Solomon talks about, the ultimate brightness of day is the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope, our longings, our development as a person, it all comes to its fulfillment when the skies crack open and Jesus Christ is returning. That's the fullness of day. And if you've missed that, this is not really the only place where Paul says that. Uh, When he writes to the church at Philippi, this is his opening words to them. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it when? on your death? Would you become mature in life? No. Paul says he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The second coming of Christ is going to banish all infirmity, all sin, all rebellion to God. Anything that is in our character that is in any way deficient in giving him glory, The sound of the trumpet is going to deal with that. Our Lord Christ is going to bring in perfection, and it is on the day he comes, and not before, which means that all that human effort to build utopia, uh, first of all, it's wasted because it can't be done. We are going to have a lack of peace and a lack of safety until Christ returns. But ironically, it's also wasted because utopia already exists. It is in heaven. It is waiting to reclaim the earth. It is going to come with the trumpet of God and the rising of the dead. When our Lord Jesus Christ returns, then you actually will have peace and safety and for eternity. And there are people living right now who are already citizens of utopia. It's the people of the light and the people of the day, those for whom the sun is not invisible. We have our papers. We are of a kingdom that is not quite yet, but is inevitable, and when the Lord Christ steps upon this earth again, our citizenship shall be perpetual, and for the first time in human history, the government will be something righteous. That's something to look forward to. And that's the essence of our passage. What are the so what's to be taken away from here? Well, uh, the first thing I, I think both Solomon and Paul want you to know is that the redeemed and the just share a world with the unrighteous and the wicked, but... It's two worlds occupying the same place. Your unconverted neighbor is literally living in a different world. For you, the light's coming up, and for them, they're in total deep darkness, and it's the same place. You're not living in the same world. The second is uh, the wicked are asleep. You ever try to talk to somebody sleep talking, sleepwalking? It's a fun thing to do. I have a few of my relatives who do that, and you can have a whole conversation with some part of them, but I don't know what I'm talking to. Uh, It's not connected. Well, the wicked are there. The wicked are asleep, and you are awake and watching the the dawn. Um, Morality really is black and white. Um, It's based either on hunger or hope. We hope for the coming of Christ. That sustains us. They long to do wickedness, and that sustains them. The end of sanctification is the second coming. And no man knows the times or seasons of that coming. When we begin this passage and we read, but I have no need to write to you about times and seasons, generally we jump over those words and assume they mean, well, no man knows the time. And that's true. That's Paul's major emphasis. But Paul could have said no man knows the day and the moment. But he uses terms that are bigger. He says no man knows the times or the seasons. That suggests a longer period of time than most people usually think about this. Um, it's going to be a while, Paul is effectively saying. Now, when a minister preaches on this, you expect him to say, no, no man knows the time or the hour, because that is what the Bible tells us to say. This passage does say, as we move towards that time, it will become clearer and clearer for those who are in the light. But nevertheless, no man knows the time or the season uh the reason why I want to emphasize it at this moment is because inside of conservative Christianity, there is a growing theology. It's always kind of been there. It's been on the fringe, but every now and then it becomes a little popular, and we're currently in a moment where it's popular. It's called full preterism, and it's the belief that every prophecy of God has been fulfilled already. Uh, there's a doctrine called partial preterism, which isn't that bad but the doctrine of full preterism says because of the victory of Christ on the cross in the open tomb we are already in the kingdom of God as it's going to be we have already had the resurrection of the dead in that we are believers we are already in the kingdom of God on earth and this is heaven this is glory that's just not true And this passage can't support that. Paul doesn't say, now comfort one another with these words, you're already in glory. He says, comfort one another with these words, Christ is coming. In full preterism, Christ has already come. And that can't be the truth. Uh, Every other millennial view ultimately says, we're not quite sure when Christ is coming. If you are a post-millennial you say Christ is probably coming in a long time. If you are pre-millennial, you say Jesus Christ is probably coming next week. But you both agree we don't really know. The full preterist says Jesus Christ has already come, and he's not coming again. And that's just not the truth. And even the early church said, what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is from there he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Uh, No man knows the time or the hour, and Paul says that. But he does say, comfort one another with these words, and he says it twice. And he says, edify one another with these words, and he says it once. Which means that he pictures us talking about the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ is coming from heaven and the dead will be raised. It is something that is to be in our minds. It is something to be in our hearts. It is something to be in our discussion with our fellow believers. It is to be as real to us as our job, our family, the place where we live. uh, This is something that we should speak of often, and we should build one another up with this hope. Is there a believer who has meant something to you, uh, built your life, and they're gone now? Good news. You will see them again. Paul says, comfort one another with these words, realize you're going to have a relationship with them again. Nothing in the world can stop that. Not the hatred of the world, not the, the power of the devil, not the sin of human hearts. God will not permit the dead to not be raised. And you will see those people again. And you will be there. And it will be a celebration of a kingdom which has found its final expression. Talk about that. Encourage one another with that. Rise in joy concerning that. You are of the day, and that light that you see coming, that is so bright for you now, because you have been walking for some time, but is going to be in its full orb brightness, it is the coming of Christ and the resurrection of the dead. Talk about it.